you're back with the show that's all about the big picture for marketing leaders, CMO Convo. And speaking of the big picture, we're tackling maybe the biggest possible picture of them all. What will the CMO role mean in the future? And how can you prepare yourself and your organization for change? Thankfully, we're joined by someone who is very used to thinking big picture, Jason McClelland, CMO for the world-renowned image and studio services company, Shutterstock. So throw away your crystal balls, get those tea leaves out of your cup and put away the tarot cards because we're about to get real about the future of the CMO role. Hi, Jason. Welcome to CMO Combo. How are you doing today? I'm great. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. And I, I appreciate being asked because I don't often get asked that in this um, really? hosting this, but uh, I, I do appreciate, appreciate that. Um, I'm also very excited about this because, yeah, I've been wanting to speak to you on this subject for a while, Jason. It's um, something that's very important to our community. I think you're perfectly placed as a CMO in a major company to talk about this. And that's looking to the future as a CMO, why it's important for you to be looking to the future. Um, but before we do get into that topic of conversation, maybe you could give us a brief overview of who you are and what you do at Shutterstock. Yeah, so Jason McClellan, CMO of Shutterstock. I've now been here four months. Before that, I worked at a couple of startups. Before that, I spent a lot of time over at Salesforce. And before that, I spent a really long time over at Adobe. Has been uh, I've been fortunate enough to go through a couple pretty big industry transformations with Adobe, you know, creating the first marketing cloud, moving us into an enterprise uh, business, creating uh, helping Adobe with the Creative Cloud SaaS transformation. So taking a thirty year old company, helping them modernize and become a SaaS company, and so a lot of great learnings. And so always happy to share the stories and learnings and, and uh, the spirit of helping other people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like you definitely have your your finger on the pulse in terms of technological adv- advancements and how businesses have to evolve to keep uh, keep pace with stuff. Is that something that you've kind of built into your your philosophy of being a, C- a CMO? Is that something that you've done naturally throughout your career as a, as a marketing leader? Or is it something you had to learn kind of thing? Yeah, I would say, so I have a pretty unique background, I think, for a CMO. So I started my career as a software developer, uh, you know, actually writing code, writing web applications. I fell into a company, so a startup company forever ago that was one of the first enterprise content management system companies. And that started my love affair with, hey, it feels like we should have the robots learn more about our customers and drive more of our customer journey. (laughs) And so by nature, that just made me a little bit future facing of the, hey, I can learn a lot about you. Like, how do I use that to support your customer journey instead of having to have so many humans? And then I went over to product and you know worked on what became a lot of Adobe's marketing cloud. Then I switched to the dark side of sales and marketing maybe 10 years ago. <laughs> um, but because of my background, I've always leaned really heavily into like product-led growth, uh, you know, growth teams. This idea of again, like how do we kind of have you know your sort of digital experience drive your life cycle? For sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but definitely, definitely. And I, I get I bet that makes you an absolute favor of your dev teams and your product teams as well. The fact you have that experience and you kind of speak their language when it comes to these kinds of developments. Yeah, it uh it definitely does help. You know, it's also made me fairly pragmatic, which is create a great vision for where you want to go, like a, a picture of what the mountain looks like, right? Like, hey, here's where we want to go, here's what we want to do and why and how. But then break it up into like two week sprints. Right. And talk about trade-offs, which is like, hey, here's what I asked for. But if you can give me 80% of what I asked for at like 50% of the effort, I'll do that all day long. 
And so engineers and product people like thinking that way. For a lot of marketers, it's a it's a new thought. I mean, things are changing. Like more and more marketing is moving into sprints and sort of breaking things up and ad, agile methodology. But a lot of marketers are uh, purist, right? Like a lot of us come from like creative backgrounds. You know, we have like really strong visions of what something should look like and feel like. And we want to maintain that because that's our job. But do it in a way that we're not just sort of stuck in process for process sake. You know, it's sort of like, Break it up, be pragmatic, deliver quick wins, you know, be like really transparent and clear to the business, what you're delivering, what you're working on and why, but maybe don't be beholden to some sort of pure view of where you want to go. Or maybe you hold on to that, but you, you think about it like, I will be there in a year or two years or three years, as opposed to like, I want to strive for, 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 for uh, perfection now. Uh, just to play devil's advocate on that, um, with the conversations I've had with many CMOs, it sounds like a lot of them don't really have the opportunity to really plan for the future. They're very much focused on the immediate needs of a company. Um, like they're constantly responding to like demand gen when you're in a startup, trying to weather the storms that they've been going through in the past few years, if you're in a larger company or a more established company. So, but at the end of the day, you do need to have an awareness of the future um, because at the end of the day, like you have to be able to evolve as a CMO, otherwise you're not going to have your career, surely. Yeah, that's... Uh... Uh, when you're at that level, part of being at that level is you have to do both, right? Like it's, it's not a luxury, which is an uh, apologies for sort of a war field analogy, right? <laughs> but it's like uh, being a general in a war, right? And you have triage and you have like things flying at you all the time. You can't be at the front line sort of in the fray or whatever saying like, hey, I'm gonna go take this mountain. It's like, you got to make sure you're winning the war and understanding like, where are things going? How are they playing out? Um. And as a CMO, uh, like many other jobs, you have a lot of hard problems. And some of them are today problems and some of them are tomorrow problems. Your tomorrow problems quite often take six to 12 months, you know, two years of work and development in order to be able to solve those. And so you have to be thinking about those now or else you're going to get hit upside the head. Right. Like an example in some companies I've been at, you know, you, you come in and you say, I need to go start building like an account-based marketing machine, an ABM machine or whatever, and like really driving like marketing inbound pipe. And you'll have like the head of sales say, no, we're good. Like, I don't need that. Uh, six months later, all of a sudden sales is struggling to hit a number and they're like, oh, marketing sucks. Right. And that's where it's like, you needed to have been laying the groundwork, knowing that that day is going to come because it's going to come. Like there's no company that's like, you know what? We have forever enough pipe, forever enough revenue coming through marketing. Just go make uh, pretty billboards. And it's not a thing. Same thing if you're, you know, you, you want to build out like a content marketing machine or to drive more organic traffic and organic growth. Multi-year investment. At some point, you're going to hit a wall where the board says, why are we spending so much money on paid acquisition? How do we get more leverage? Uh, or marketing automation systems, right? You know, it's like, once again, like, why do we have to keep hiring so many people? Like, why, you know, like, why don't we get more leverage out of the system? Those are, those are problems that will eventually come to you that require a year or two years of work. And so you need to start working on them and thinking about them, even though you're not gonna see a payoff for a while, and even though you don't see an urgent need, because by the time that the urgent need comes up, it's too late. And that's where I think a lot of CMOs end up getting knocked off kilter. Um, depending on who you listen to, the average tenure of a CMO now is either 18 months or 14 months. Uh, the point being, it's less than two years, right? Mm -hmm. It's a year and a half or a little over a year. And that's one of the reasons. It's because CMOs come in, you always have a fire drill on pipe. You always have a fire drill on brand. You always have a fire drill of other stakeholders saying, hey, how come we're not in the Wall Street Journal every day? 
you need to solve those things. Uh, but if you don't solve the longer term things at the same time, eventually they will come and hit you upside the head. Right. And so that's one of those, like as a CMO, and I tend to think about in terms of like math problems, right. Which is like, what percentage of my time and what percentage of our investment are we putting in, you know, sort of future things versus today things, what's the ROI. And then trying to like hold myself to that framework. Right. Uh, Cause if you don't sort of containerize things like that, it's really easy to pull everything into like the fire drill of the day and you're never working on strategic stuff. And the same goes for your team, right? You need to like make sure that your team is okay with that, which is guys like we need to sort of uh, uh, containerize, right? And sort of like block it off, which is like, here's how much that's worth to us or else uh, you will get pulled into things and, and like nothing will be delivered, right? Because it's like the team just moves from fire drill to fire drill. I suppose as well, like the, the one of the difficulties is communicating the need for these changes, like internal marketing, I suppose being able to sort of show the need to start working on these processes now rather than wait until we need them. But then you've also got to be able to convince them to invest those resources into those kinds of projects. So that's got to be a hurdle that you've got to face as a CMO, surely. Yeah, I don't think about it as a hurdle. I think about it as a, uh, so yes, it is. You know, it's like you've got to convince the CFO and the, the chief product officer of the need to build these systems. But it's a, uh, once again, it's a math problem to me. It's a, hey, what is the customer acquisition cost, you know, and lifetime value ratio you want as a company? You know, like, what's your, basically, what's your return on spend you want from marketing? And how do you get more efficient over time? These are the systems that we need to invest in now in order to be more efficient, even if you're not going to see that efficiency for a year or two years from now. Usually CFOs are like, uh, not only are they open to it, they love having that conversation, right? Because they think in terms of like NPV, net present value, they think in terms of payback periods. and so. Usually, other than headcount, marketing is the biggest variable expense in the company, by far. Or sometimes it's like Amazon Web, you know, web Services or whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so CFOs love CMOs that speak that way, right? Which is, hey, I realize that I'm the highest variable expense in the company. Here's what I'm doing to drive efficiencies to scale. So that way, as we grow, maybe I go from 19% of budget to 17% of budget to 14% of budget. Because I don't need to like sort of hire linearly or invest linearly as the, as the company grows. Uh, usually boards, CMO, or CEOs, uh, CFO, like they love having that conversation, right? Because as a CMO, you're aware that you're an expense um, and you're aware that you're being paid for results, right? And you're aware that some of marketing is magic, but a lot of it's got to be science or whatever. And the more that you could be pretty scientific and, and mathematical about the science, like you're speaking their language. Um, a lot of CMOs, I think they run into issues because they don't come from that background, right? Like they'll come from like a brand, like performance CMOs may, right? You know, cause they're used to dollar in dollar out. I know how to justify, but if you're like a brand person or a product marketing person, uh, you have to develop that skill set or hire people on your team or make partners with people in finance who have that skill set and want to speak your language. Um, or else, once again, you'll probably get hit upside the head by something. You know, it's like, oh, I didn't realize I was so expensive. Or I didn't realize that you expected to be more efficient with time. I want to go create like super sexy things. You know, um, <laughs> we all do, but you have to be able to justify it. For sure, for sure. So, do you think this kind of sword of Damocles to get a little bit arch with the the comparisons there? This kind of like threat hovering over the the CMO's head is why they need to be the catalyst for change. Is is it's this kind of Keeping an eye on the future, is that going to offer more sort of long-term job security kind of thing if you are able to show that you are planning ahead and you've got big ideas kind of thing? 
yeah, I do. I think that in my mind, the role of the CMO is a couple things. You know, one is we're the voice of the company, right? Like we're what people feed. They're what, we're what people feel, right? Like they see our ads, they see us in Vogue or they see us in Wall Street Journal or they see, you know, our billboard or they see us at an event presence. Um, we're, we're one of the teams that is the voice of the customer, you know, talking to customers and really understanding like, you know, competitive and what's going on in the market and like, what are the problems of the day-to-day customer and bringing that back in and figuring out like, how do we represent that? So we, uh, it, it, one of the ways that job security, and I don't like about think about it like job security, but more uh, value add, right? Uh, if you're adding yeah. value and you're sort of driving the company, like I, I try not to be fear-based, like by nature, I'm very <laughs> fear-based, um, but I really try not to be. Uh, and so I think about it more like in our role, how do we provide the most obvious value to the company? And one of those ways is our job is to create a vision for where we think we should go as a company, like how should we be perceived? You know, like what, what's our positioning against other things throughout there in the market? How do we want customers to talk about us? How do we get from here to there? How do we drive the customer lifecycle? How do we drive acquisition? How do we attract people into our funnel? And so create pretty strong visions for how the world needs to look in two, three, you know, five years. I mean, five years is ridiculous. You don't know how things are going to change, but <laughs> longer term, right? You know, call it like three year. I think the world's going to look like this. Here's how we get from here to there. Here's how we're going to measure it. These are the investments that we're going to make between now and then. I think that that's part of our job. Right, because we're uniquely positioned in that we understand the market, we understand what's going on, and we're the voice of the company to say, like, all this stuff that we're making, this grab bag of goods across sales and product, here's how we put it together um, for something where the market's like, I understand what that is and I understand why that's better. I think that's your sort of, uh, if you're worried about job security, it's sort of like building that skill set of what does the mountain look like? How are we going to get from here to there? What are the investments? Goes a long way. And then, like I said, it's very pragmatic, but you have to speak your peers' language. So really understanding like, you know, uh, payback periods and investment and CAC and ROI, like increasingly uh, the board and Wall Street, and if you're private, you know, the board and your investors, marketing is becoming a math formula, right? It's literally like, you know, what percentage of revenue are you? What's your customer acquisition cost? How are you becoming more efficient? That's one of the main reasons that's driving the growth and product-led growth. You know, this idea of like, how do we have the robots do more? And so we don't have to just like, you know, spend all the money on billboards and salespeople. Um, and so you have to learn those things, right? You, you, can't, you can't run away from it. It is the future. And so you need to embrace it and either develop the skill set or hire people or, or build partners who can help you. So that's kind of, you kind of moved us into the area of uh, conversation that I did want to discuss a bit. And is that, that more about the sort of like, the specific changes to the CMO role that are in the pipeline, like what, how is business going to evolve and how to keep pace? I mean, obviously it's going to vary from business to business and industry to industry, but like, what do you see as being the evolution of the CMO role over the next three years and how can CMOs take, keep pace with that? It's become a lot more technical, right? With the evolution of product-led growth and, you know, figuring out like the marketing team's role in that. Um, you have uh, some smaller companies that even question like, oh, do we still need marketing, right? We have salespeople, we know what they do. We have product-led growth. Can we just put that in product and just make it purely a demand machine? Um, and so marketers need to be on top of that, right? And be the ones driving change and not reactive or else it's really easy for your seat to get smaller uh, if you're not driving that. So it's become way more technical. And really understanding, like, what are the software investments I'm going to make? What are the database investments I'm going to make? Um, 
lots of changes with, you know, sort of Google and cookies and the way that, you know, you can target people and first party versus third party data. Um, and so the CMO now spends way more time with like legal and finance and the technical teams than they ever have before. And usually like historically that was more like oil and water, right? It was like sort of creatives and engineers and you're like, okay, we, <laughs> we don't have a lot of common DNA that's changing. And so if that's not in your DNA. You need to make sure that you have strong lieutenants who are, I mean, just super geeks, right. Where they're like, no, I understand. Like when do I use segment versus, you know, uh, segment or drift or when do I use, uh, you know, whatever the technologies are, it's just changing so fast. Um, also a lot of these technologies are really expensive and hard to implement. And so you need to understand enough to go, okay, if I'm going to go spend a year implementing something like uh, demand base, like, do I know enough about that versus like a sixth sense or something else to go like, that's the right one. Um, I've come into companies where we had just tons of failed integrations, you know, where it's just like, oh, we've got every marketing automation system. Um, <laughs> they're not integrated. They're not talking to Salesforce. And they're just like spending half a million a year on things that are just like vaporware almost. Uh, anyway, uh, too far into that topic, but it's becoming a lot more technical. It's becoming a lot more mechanical um, from a financial standpoint, which is there are uh, the ratios like CAC to LTV, depending on your customer acquisition cost to lifetime value, depending on your customer segment, uh, percentage of marketing to ARR, uh, uh, return on investment for different spend channels, you know, like what do you get out of display versus what do you get out of SEM versus what do you get out of like brand or organic or other things that are maybe a little bit less me directly measurable. Uh, the formulas are being baked for better or worse, right? And so you're, you're being expected to sort of fit within these like bands, you know, these sort of bands that are becoming industry standards. And so you've got to speak finance, right? You've got to understand that. You've got to understand that, you know, you may want to do something different, but how do you have that conversation? Because increasingly, you know, boards and CFOs are like, hey, I got the playbook from somebody else. That marketing should be spending blah, 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 blah. You know, 6% on that, 8% on this, 10% on that. Here's what the return should be. And so you can't fight that, right? I mean, it's an industry machine. And so you've got to understand the language and be able to speak within it. Uh, I think the skill set of the people that you're hiring is changing. Which is because mar the market is changing so quick and marketing is changing so quick. You need to hire people that are uh, builders, right? Like entrepreneurs, you know, people who are like not beholden to like, oh, I worked for this person. I'm going to go work for this person for five years. And, you know, you tell me what my job is and I'm going to go be the world's best uh, display ad buying person. <laughs> it's the, you need to hire people who are, I want you to be a modern digital acquisition person. And you're going to go back and forth, whether that's like a paid social or display, like you'll build like expertise, but you're not sort of beholden to, I'm the, uh, Southeast Asian being ad buying person. <laughs> it's kind of like, no, I'm the acquisition person and I'm keeping up to date on like modern acquisition practices that as things are changing around like ad targeting and cookies, like I'm driving that change and not like sort of stuck. And so you're hiring a different kind of person who's like, this is going to change every six months. And you want to embrace and love the change and not be like, oh man, my job keeps changing. How confusing and stressful is that? Uh, I'm sure there's other things that I'm missing, but <laughs> roughly those are some of the things I think about. Well, I suppose um, speaking of like the the skill set changing, I suppose it's the danger of over specialization is always going to be a thing. Like because you never know that piece of technology, that type of marketing that you're an expert in, might not exist in like two to three years, or even even within like six months, depending on how quick like platforms change and rise and fall, kind of thing. So being able to 
adapt has got to be essential at any level as a marketer, I think, as well, especially as a CMO, but for any any marketing level. Um, let's talk about you touched a bit on tech. Let's let's dig into some of the tech on the horizon that maybe that you're you're investigating yeah. at the moment, maybe that you've seen other people investigating. Let's talk about like why CMO should be taking a look at them now. Yeah. Um so again, I started my career as a developer, started my career building content management and e-commerce systems. And so I've been super enamored with what can I learn about you and how do I use that to make you successful? And so I'm always thinking about like, what's the next, uh, what's the next best step for you? You know, uh, so if Shrey comes in or Will comes in or Joe comes in or John comes in, you know, it's like, what do they need to see on a day zero versus a day five kind of when, where? And so a lot of the investments that I, I, I make are in, are in that, right? It's in like, what are the data warehouses that I have? You know, what are the systems I need to capture the telemetry, like the sort of data points across product usage and web journeys and external information like buying intent, uh, org structure. And so I've always invested in things like, you know, Queerbit and Drift and Mad Kudu and companies like that that are like, how do I, uh, right now we're, we're investing in demand base, you know, from an ABM standpoint, which is like, how do I take, you know, buying intent organizational sort of understanding, be able to stitch it together to go, okay, five people came in from Google. At what point do I talk to them as individuals trying to do their job versus an account? And how do I automate sort of going the back and forth, which is you as an individual still needs to be on the individual sort of drip stream and seeing the things that you need as an individual. But then how do I sort of get into your boss? Or how do I kind of get into a broader thing? Or how do I find other people that look like you and other people that look like you at Google? Then how do I start targeting them when they go to like Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn? Um, so I invest a lot in that, which is like, how do I, when you come to the website, what do you see that's unique to you based on what I know when you're on Instagram, what do you see? You know, um, what am I doing with retargeting? So it's like, as you're going out to the internet, it's like, okay, I know this about your company. I know this about your journey. Like, how do I kind of grow? Um, fortunately it's gotten easier and more complex at the same time. (laughs) So the easier thing is right now, like the software industry always kind of does this, right? Like, I don't know, every eight years, something like that, where it kind of blows up and you end up with like a million sort of 20,000, 40,000 a year sort of software solutions that are best in breed for like that one specific use case. And then they kind of converge, right? They all acquire Mm -hmm. each other and then you end up buying the big platforms. Like uh, Uh, like HubSpot would be an example of that, I suppose, from the previous cycle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like HubSpot, uh, Adobe, Salesforce, some of my my alma maters, right, where I came from. Uh, people are mostly moving away from them because once something becomes monolithic, so right now, like the world's going the other way, which is like, man, that's too monolithic. I can't do what I want to do. I'm going to go hire amazing world-class marketing ops people who know how to stitch together all the best of breed sort of startups, build something cool. That's where the market is right now. Right. Like people are buying like the Netlify's or the sort of like headless CMS's where it's just like, I just need you to serve like one little part of a web app <laughs> because I need to be consistent. Uh, I don't know where I put my Apple watch around here, but it's like, I need to be consistent across the Apple watch and the phone and the Peloton and the Tesla, the, whatever the thing is, you can't do that in some of the old like legacy CMS systems or it's just incredibly hard. Um, I love it because I can build exactly what it is that I want, but I have to invest in world-class marketing ops people in order to be able to get there. But that goes back to the, as a CMO, you have to be kind of technical enough. So you're not just like, oh, well, the monolith told me that they can do it. So therefore I trust them. And next thing you know, three years later, you're like, I'm still not getting what I wanted. Um, anyway, uh, happy to talk more about that. I mean, I really geek out on that. So let me know. 
Well, I suppose as well, like, you also have to be prepared to push back against, because like, obviously your CEO or founder is going to be reading about changes in the market, upcoming technologies and stuff. And they'll, they'll, they might come to you and say, why aren't we doing this? And you, you need a justification as to why you aren't. Because I assume you know yeah. about these things that they're coming to, the, to you with, but you need to be able to justify why you're not making those changes that the CEO is expecting as well. Yeah, I think about it as business capabilities and ROI. And that's the foundation where I have, you know, those kind of conversations, right? Which is, um, are we doing enough to acquire customers or not? Are we doing enough to grow people once they're in the funnel or not? Like, you know, and if it's like, so it depends on like where you think your weaknesses or your highest ROI, and then making the, the investments and the capabilities to drive that. So you say, hey, we've got a ton of inbound. People are coming to our website, but they're all bouncing and not doing anything then I would probably invest in like uh, optimization platforms. I'd probably invest in like data augmentation platforms, which is like, okay, if I could start using like Drift and Netlify and things to sort of better understand kind of who somebody is, um, can I get more of those people to stick? Right. Um, and if I invest in like experimentation platforms, like, you know, can I run experiments much more fast, fast, uh, faster? Um to uh, sh show you this versus that, you know, and sort of personalize. So it just really depends on the problem that you have. You also don't want to be shiny object, right? Which is like, oh, somebody mentioned this new cool thing or whatever. I got to go try it out. But I'm not really clear what I'm trying to solve. I'm not really clear what it's worth to me. And so is it worth 20 grand or 200 grand in span? Is it worth a month or is it worth two years? You know, like right now, an ABM platform is probably worth a hundred some thousand dollars and probably worth, you know, a year of getting set up a year or two from now, um, as it evolves, probably not. Right. And same thing, like marketing automation systems, like a lot of people are moving away from the big marketing automation systems. Cause you're like, it's no longer the brain. Like I've moved the brain into my customer data warehouse. And so is it worth it for me to spend a hundred, $200,000 for a system that essentially is just like a dumb email server? <laughs> Pro probably not. Right? right. If it's not like actually like the, the sort of traffic light, uh, the traffic coordinator anymore. Um, and even with CRMs and sort of Salesforce, right, is more and more modern companies are calling themselves a modern CRM. And increasingly, like the intelligence, this sort of account intelligence and how you treat accounts is moving out of Salesforce as a CRM. And so is there a future in, I don't know, a couple of years where it's like, well, Salesforce isn't worth a couple hundred thousand a year to me anymore? Probably. Right. Um, and so that's where it's just like, what are you trying to solve? What's it worth to you? Uh, and how much time does it take? It's, it's a math problem, I think. For sure, for sure. Um, so we've talked about sort of the position of the CMO within a business. We've talked about technology. We've talked about a bit about the changes to like marketing strategy and how to market. But at the end of the day, you're not just a marketing machine. You're not just a C-suite member. You're also a leader of people. You're a leader of a marketing yeah. team and department. How is that role like to change in the in the future? Like, what what can what does a CMO have to be aware of in terms of what their what their employees are expecting from them? What kind of duty of care do you have in terms of things that are coming up? And I know a lot of people are concerned about cost of living crises at the moment. Like, what kind of steps should CMOs be taking to really, yeah, show their teams that they are valued and cared for? Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot there, right? Like one increasingly people want to work for a mission, right? And this is solidly the role of CMO. Um, I mean, there's obviously a chief people officer role in creating like the company mission, but the, I want to know, I can go work anywhere, 
right? I don't just mean me. I mean, all of us, right? I mean, the, the, the world, the world has changed a lot. You're not stuck. And especially with COVID where it's like, oh, we can all work remote. We can be. Mm-hmm. And so even though the economy is crashing um, and there's a lot of uncertainties about the future, the job market is still pretty frothy. And so I think first and foremost, people want to work somewhere where it's like, I'm excited about that mission. I'm bought into it. I got to help shape that. Right. And so involving all levels of your organization and Hey, here's what I'm thinking. Um, here's why I'm thinking. What do you guys think? So that way it's a, it's a shared mission that people are like, uh, it's not just a job, right? It's a, oh, I feel solid that my company is going to go change the world. And here's what we're doing to do. And I understand how I fit in. And I think that last part is equally important is people want to be empowered. They want experiences where they can learn. They can be hands-on. They can make decisions. It's okay to make mistakes because they're like, oh, I grew. I got to do something new. I don't just want to be told what to do. Um, and so I am a fan of, I'm once again, I'm a nerd when it comes to like OKR. So objective and key results and key initiatives, which is everybody in, the, in a company should have like their own business plan, right? Like be really clear. Like I'm CEO of my role or whatever. Like I've got a business goal that I'm responsible for. I bought into the business goal because I helped shape that mission. And I'm able to make the decisions locally with the resources that I have, whether that's my time or if I have a team or if I have a budget to drive that. I mean, you got to be transparent. You got to be inclusive. You got to be you know, like structured and strategic. So people are like, okay, I understand what you're doing versus, you know, I understand what you're doing, but you're like, okay, I'm empowered. I'm not just being told what to do and kind of come in and send some emails or come in and buy some ads. It's like, no, I'm going to buy these ads versus those ads because I feel like they're the best. I'm going to write this copy versus that copy because I feel like that's the best. Um, so I feel like those are some of the most important things. Uh, I worry a lot about team connection, um, meaning it's great because of COVID that we can work from home and all be on Zoom or whatnot and Slack. On the other hand, happy hour, right? Or grabbing coffee or the sort of, you're going to spend half your life with the people that you're working with. Like you want to love them, right? And it's, it's hard to do that when all you see are like Zoom icons or Slack icons and you're like, and so trying to bring like the humor into work, trying to do things like investing, it could be hokey, but it could be fun, like virtual escape rooms, you know, things like that, that people are like, let's go laugh together. Let's try to find a way to like, you know, eat together, you know, do a cocktail class, whatever. I feel like you have to invest in those kind of things because people do miss the human connection. Um, investing in periodic get togethers, right? Which is like, okay, like, you know, COVID has gone away briefly. So we're all going to meet in New York. We're all going to meet in San Francisco and, you know, go have lunch and whiteboard and hang out. And it's like 50-50 between like work and just human bonding. Um, And so I think as things become more remote, like that's, that becomes increasingly important, right? You know, sort of building like the human connection. I, I suppose as well, like the diversification of where people are working makes it trickier for you as a CMO to kind of keep track of what is important to them on an individual level. Like what's important, what's going on in New York, for example, might be very different to something that's going on in Dallas or Houston. Like, so you have to be, have your finger on the pulse of all these different places and all these different developments and things that could be affecting people in different ways. Like it's tricky enough in the UK, like when we're spread across a a much smaller country than the U S but as a CMO in the US and a big country, it's got to be incredibly difficult to keep track of all that. And even different countries as well. Shutterstock's an international company. So surely yeah. you've got to keep track of all that as well. Yeah, I, I, I laughed when you said that because when COVID first happened, so I'm here in the San Francisco Bay Area, which was probably one of the most locked down areas mm-hmm. in the world. Um, and so we were like, 
wear a mask, don't leave your house, you know, have all groceries delivered and wipe them down with like whatever, you know, Clorox when it shows up. And I had people on my team in places like Texas where it's like COVID didn't happen. (laughs) You know, so literally they're like, oh, we're going to baseball games. We're going to church. And it was just, it was surreal, right? Because you're in a pandemic. We haven't had a major pandemic in a hundred years. So none of us grew up in that. Like it's new to all of us. And to be somewhere where it's like you live somewhere that you're uh, locked down and can't leave your house. And you have people on your team that are like, yeah, we're going to baseball games. Or it's funny, speaking of the UK, I had I had a decent sized team in the UK. And yeah, they were complaining because they had to leave the pub by 10 o'clock. I think it was 10 Oof. o'clock, something like that. Yeah. And it's like, you're, <laughs> it's the I'm worst. like you're still able to go to a bar. <laughs> they're like, yeah, but we have to be home by 10. <laughs> I'm like, so yeah, it is uh, being mindful of how things are different everywhere. Trying to be mindful of time changes, right? Which is... I love it because it's it's great. It's easy to get local talent in a way that you never have, right? So you you can actually hire somebody in Singapore to run Southeast Asia, and you can work together all day every day. But being mindful that it's like, hey, maybe five a.m. my time, and you know, um, in the middle of the night your time, and so those are always like the hard dynamics, right? Like, how do you sort of keep people connected when you're literally thirteen hours apart? Like, there's no there's no good time for you to meet. Um, it can be hard. And so we try to rotate things, you know, it's like, we'll have early morning meetings sometimes later night meetings sometimes that way it's only bad for maybe 20% of the employees <laughs> at any given point, but you kind of rotate through, uh, try to do things like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Asynchronous work. Like it sounds amazing on paper. Like this, everyone can just work on their own and work in their own little bubbles and get all their projects done. But you do need that human connection. You do need to be able to acknowledging like times when you can get, not necessarily face-to-face contact, we'll at least be able to jump on a Zoom together and be able to talk when, you yeah. well, you're not both absolutely exhausted because you're up at ridiculous times. So it's, I think it's very good to show that flexibility and show that awareness that you value people's time as well. Like you're not forcing them to get up at 5am yeah. for no reason. One thing that I feel, so in general, uh, I'm not a fan of meetings where it's just sort of status updates. And that's where I love the move to async work of like, send out a pre-read, we can react to it. And then when we meet, we'll just have a real working discussion as yeah. opposed to... Super- I love that. A thing that I, I've come to realize it's sort of broken in marketing with that move though, is most marketers are creatives. And so whether you're introverted or extroverted, you still need people to like react with. Right. And it's kind of like the brainstorming time and finding opportunities where it's like, we're going to have a meeting, but it truly is a creative meeting where it's just like, what are the problems we're trying to solve? And let's ideate. And like, I feel like uh, that got lost a little bit with the first year or two of COVID and everybody kind of moving to Zoom. And you're just like, your meetings became very transactional, right? It's like, oh, we have to meet. Here's our one on one. Here's what we're going to talk about. And you're like, well, when do we talk about what are we doing and why are we doing it? And, uh, and so, really being mindful and investing in that. Right. You know, this idea of like most marketers are creatives, like we're not we're not engineers. Right. Like we actually want to talk with other marketers and be like, I've got this baby idea and it could be stupid, but I need to bounce it off. And I need I need to riff with you because you will help me make it better. Um, We need that. Like most marketers, I think, need that regardless, like I said, if you're introvert or extrovert. And so like building those times, which is, hey, I, I know we all have a lot of meetings, but I think we need two hours to workshop this because it's going to be a big campaign. We want it to be awesome. And it's hard to do that when it's just like you and your dog in a living room, you know, you're sort of like, Hey dog, I think it's a great idea. You know, <laughs> it's like, anyway, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I love those. Like you get the whiteboard session out, you get your like jam with ideas and stuff. It's, it's one of the reasons I 
stuck with a marketing career is those kinds of sessions. And I'm sure there's a lot of marketers the same. So it is up to the CMOs to provide those kinds of outlets for their marketing teams at the end of the day, because you want to keep them happy doing their role, doing being a marketer in general, because the passionate marketers are better marketers. They're more creative if they care and if they've got the outlets for their abilities and a reason for being in that position. Like it's yeah. It's a, it's a tricky thing. thing to it's gone. Go on, Jason. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I interrupted you. Thank you. Um yeah, it's a tricky thing that's gone. I underappreciated it and now it's 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 top of mind. And the one thing, I mean, we spoke a lot about mechanics, right? We spoke a lot about, you know, technology and finance and structure. A lot of that, I think, are the are the things that CMOs need to be mindful of as a way to sort of keep their seat and keep the power and keep, you know, sort of be a change agent. But I think the the really fun part of being in marketing that we didn't speak a lot about that's equally important is you've got to be the chief storyteller, right? Um, and you've got to get the company sort of bought into that. And I think that's something that like most marketers really love is the, we don't just make a bunch of stuff and we don't just have a bunch of customers. Uh, what's the story? right? Like, how do we exist? Like, why do we exist? What are we trying to do? Why is it important? You know, in most companies, um, you, you probably have really cool customers doing really cool things. And so you have like just so much gold to like weave that into your story. And I think that that's the opportunity of a, of a marketer is like, don't be a shill, you know, like actually just like use the magic of the stuff that your customers are already doing and have that be your story. Um, I think that goes a long way also to, to also answering like, how do you keep your employees engaged? Because they're like, okay, I'm not just working here for a paycheck. I actually see the person who's able to do their job because of what my company made. I was able to tell the story to find other people like that. Um, I think people really, uh, they thrive. Like, like they get excited by that because it's like, oh, my company made something that uh, like, I'm not just making something crappy and kind of, you know, get people to buy it. It's like, I actually help somebody do their job or actually help somebody be successful. And so I think the more that as a CMO that you could be that sort of storyteller, you know, and uh, what do we like, what do we stand for and why, and why is it important? And, you know, kind of what's the secular trend that's happening on in the industry that, you know, we're helping to drive is uh, I think it's really important to keep your, your company aligned. So it's not just like a financial model. Um, another thought. Oh, Jason, it was a great thought for sure. I think that is actually probably an excellent note to, uh, to end that discussion on. I think it's, a really great way of putting things in perspective, the CMO, like we've got all these, they have all these responsibilities, all these things they have to keep track of in the day-to-day in terms of their career, in terms of other stakeholders. But at the end of the day, there are the constants of being a CMO. It's that storytelling, it's that narrative, and it's being able to create something, I think is the driving force and driving motivation for a lot of marketers and a lot of CMOs out there. Uh, But thank you very much for joining us today, Jason. As I said, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation and I'm sure it's on a topic that many of our audience, many of our community are thinking about right now. Um, So thank you very much to our listeners as well for joining us today. Um, We'll be back soon with some more CMO combos. Like what you heard from this CMO combo? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating so the whole world knows how great it was.